Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Emily Grace Buck, and today I'm going to be talking about an issue that's uh, very near and dear to my heart. And I've titled this talk Creative Life and Game Dev. It's not personal. Um, And yeah, I guess I am bringing some of the femme energy to this thing because I decided on a hot pink first slide. I like the color. It's all good. Um, So a little bit about me before I get into things. I am a narrative designer and writer in video games. My main project that I'm currently working on is called The Waylanders for Gato Studio. It's a Dragon Age Origins-inspired tactical RPG um, with time travel and romance and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, Before that, I was at Telltale Games for quite a while. I worked on 17 episodes while I was at Telltale and was the lead designer for five episodes. Uh, The games that I worked on there include Walking Dead Michonne, Walking Dead The Final Season, both seasons of Batman The Telltale series, and also Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And unfortunately, I was working on Wolf Among Us Season 2 when the company closed. So that's going to be the one that got away for a long time. Uh, You're going to hear me talk a lot about Telltale in this talk, um, partially because I've talked a lot about Telltale in the past bunch of months, especially since the closure. I was still working there when it closed down. And though before that happened, I already had a lot of strong feelings about workers' rights advocacy in games, that kind of solidified for me that we need to be doing a lot more, that things really need to shift in our industry. Before I worked at Telltale, I was an instructional designer at a serious games company called Cognito, worked on seven different games there. And prior to that, I was actually an elementary school teacher and a musical theater actor. And that's going to become relevant later in the talk, I promise. So here's a confession to start things out. Um, I've made every single mistake in this talk. I'm going to be talking about some of the potential pitfalls of game dev company culture. And I'm not coming this from a theoretical place. I'm coming at this from a very personal place. Uh, I'm going to be talking about some things I've done that worked for me, some things that blew up in my face, (laughs) Um, some examples of things I know friends have done, because that's kind of what this talk is about at its core that game devs become friends with one another all of the time. It's just kind of rampant. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, which I'm going to talk about, but it can have some unexpected side effects that are both positive and negative. So why are we talking about this? First of all, game dev culture is very insular. We tend to not see very many people who work outside of game dev, and it can be really brutal. A lot of us work crazy hours. A lot of us are doing extremely taxing tasks every single day and then going home and working more or trying to play the latest games to keep up on what's going on so we can talk about things. Uh, We work around the clock and that takes a toll on us. At the same time, game dev culture is kind of amazing. I love it. The fact that what we do is so much fun and brings so much joy to so many people is fascinating. The fact that we have shared interests with everyone we work with, with just about everybody we meet at industry events, that's incredible. Um, And the fact that it's incredible and wonderful and the fact that it's brutal are pretty strongly related, to be honest. So let's just get this out of the way at the beginning of this talk. Crunch. most of us who work in game dev have done it. 
If you've never had to do it in game dev, I am so, so happy for you. You are working the right places. Congratulate them, hug them, do what you can to keep that culture and spread it to other places. Um, because most of us have done it. And a lot of us have crunched not just for a few weeks at a time when we're trying to get a project out, but sometimes consistently for months or years straight. I know that in some of my previous game dev jobs, I have worked 90 and 100 hour work weeks on end for over a month, multiple times. Um, and that wasn't just a telltale. Uh, that's been almost every place I've worked. Now I'm a contractor and I get paid mostly hourly. So that doesn't happen as much anymore, but that has its own uh, list of different potential work issues that I'm not going to be going into today. But crunch is, for those of you who aren't aware of it, when pretty much an entire team is asked to work extensive overtime to finish a game project. And by extensive, I mean like twice as many hours as they would work in a normal week a lot of the time. Although it can just be 60 or 70. But in game dev, since most people aren't hourly, that isn't compensated. Uh, you might get free pizza, but you're not going to get money usually for that time. And for the roles that are compensated for crunch, they're often the lower paying roles uh, like QA, which shouldn't be as low paid as it is, but unfortunately here we are. So why does this kind of thing happen? So when we're in games, it's not just our job. It's kind of a lifestyle. <laughs> games are our job. They're our passion and our hobby. A lot of us spend all day making games, and then we go home and play games to relax. Most of us are doing this because we love it. A lot of people in the game industry either grew up playing video games or some, like me, found them a little bit later in life, like in college, and got extremely hooked. Um, and why would we do this if we didn't love it, <laughs> right? We want to be around video games all the time. That's why we're here. And that's not how most jobs work, obviously. <laughs> um, I mean, there are plenty of other industries like theater, film, music, where it is someone's passion and hobby as well, but they don't tend to have the same kind of corporate culture that game dev has. And all of those professions that I just named have unions to stop them from being exploited. Games are kind of in this weird niche, unique space where we function a lot more like tech companies, but have some of these kind of passion issues that things like the performing arts tend to experience. And once again, that's kind of unique. Can you imagine? I'm assuming most people watching this have probably seen at least a couple episodes of The Office. <laughs> Nobody on The Office, like, loves paper, right? They like paper. They kind of, they think it's fine that they're selling paper, but none of them are obsessed with paper. I guess the closest person would be Dwight. But can you imagine working in an office full of Dwight's? And even Dwight has a bunch of extra hobbies that have nothing to do with paper. They're weird hobbies, but he has them and they're things that he can focus on. In games, this is kind of it for many of the people that we work with. Of course, there are some people who work in video games who aren't quite as passionate about it, and that's fine. But they're certainly a rarity, at least in my experience. So when you're seeing people for 90 hours a week, when you're working on things that you mutually love, when you're excited about creating things, you get to know them really, really well. They start becoming some of your best friends because you have so much in common. You're going through a difficult experience together to make something tangible that you're excited about. Of course, you're going to become close. That's normal. Um, I've made lifelong friends at every game job I've had. I've formed romantic relationships with people that I met through game dev. And that's extremely common in this industry. There are a lot of people who are very close friends with each other. I know so many game devs who are married to other game devs. And once again, it makes sense when you're around people that much and you're making things together, you bond. That's how human nature works. And then those close relationships start becoming a company culture. 
when you care about other people, you start holding them accountable. You want their work to be the best it can possibly be. You want to make sure that they're not out sick for too long because you want them to be okay. If they're going through something, you offer to help them. Um, I've shared this story in a few other talks, but I got divorced while I was working at Telltale and 12 of my coworkers showed up to help me move after the divorce. That kind of thing doesn't happen at most jobs. Um, people in games become really tight. They're there for each other. And when you have a whole building of sometimes multiple hundred people who feel that way about one another, that's your company culture. That's who's talking to each other at the water cooler every day, but also who's going out with each other for drinks or dinner just about every night, who's inviting one another over to their houses for barbecues on weekends. This becomes your core social circle. Your company is your social life. And when your company is your social life, there's potential for things to start going wrong. <laughs> um, I mentioned holding one another accountable as a positive on my last slide. But when you start becoming so close and so devoted to one another and devoted to the project, holding one another accountable can be used as a tool against you. If everyone else decides they're going to crunch and they're going to stay, if you're the one person who tries to leave the office at 7 p.m., suddenly you look like a massive asshole. Even if you've already worked a 10-hour day because everybody else is still there. And they're going to talk to you about it. That's people messaging you if you don't show up in the office on a weekend, wondering where you are. That's people agreeing to really ridiculous deadlines for you because they know you can do it because you've done it before. Instead of asking you if that's possible or trying to give you a schedule that will allow for a normal length of work week and some breathing room. This is also when you start to see clicks forming. When you have an in-group where people are that devoted to one another, when there are people whose personalities don't fit with that in-group, even if they're the best people in the world, they're going to start getting left out of those types of events. They're going to get left out of happy hour. They're going to get left out of the barbecue to celebrate somebody's kid's birthday. And when those events tend to have mostly people from the same company, inevitably, work talk is going to happen. People are going to start deciding on things that should be happening at work at those events. And if you're not invited, if you're not in that room, you're out. Your work life has suddenly been affected by the fact that you're not super close friends with everybody else. I saw this at one of the companies I worked with um, when it came to smoke breaks. Most of the in-group were cigarette smokers. And a number of employees actually picked up or picked back up smoking so that they could take smoke breaks with the in-group and get to hear what they were talking about and make certain that they would get the kinds of roles they wanted on future projects. That's not great. Um, the other thing you start seeing is no other social life. I mean, especially if you're dating or living with, as in a roommate situation or a romantic situation, people that you work with, there are not going to be that many people in your life necessarily who you talk to every day who aren't involved in your projects, which means your brain is thinking about work 24-7. Um, and once again, those kinds of work decisions can end up being made outside of work, which excludes other people, but keeps you kind of on that one note. And that's not particularly healthy. This is also when we start to see people being critical of the person that they're working with instead of critical of their work, um, especially if someone is on the out from a click or if they're starting to get burnt out, it can be easy to see that a person has lost their touch or just isn't, does, it doesn't have it, doesn't have what it takes. When really, they just need more feedback, they need mentoring, they need extra support. Um, and when people are just written off like that, that's a really bad sign about what's going on with your company culture. And the other way we tend to see this is with big personalities getting preference over good work. If someone's really fun to be around and then they're at all of these social gatherings and they're talking themselves up, 
it's very easy to start selecting them for things over people who have been turning in consistently good work, but are quiet and maybe not as involved in the culture. And that's not necessarily beneficial for the company long-term. So you're probably starting to see how all of these things put together encourage overwork. They encourage continuing to obsess about what's going on in the company and on the project. And they start excluding people who don't participate in that type of culture. And then that's when things start to get really bad. We start to hear things like, you're lucky to be here. (laughs) A lot of people would want your job. I could hire one of the hundreds of dudes on Reddit who think they could do this any day. You start feeling replaceable because sometimes people are literally saying that you're replaceable. Um, But even if they're not, um, game dev culture, if you spend any amount of time online, you know how many people want your job. Like everybody wants to do this. You start feeling imposter syndrome. Like, did you do enough to deserve to be here? Do you know as much as your coworkers who seem to be happy and on top of it and not minding working this much all the time? You might burn out where you just don't even have the energy to get out of bed in the morning, where you open up a spreadsheet and you just stare at it for hours, (laughs) unable to parse things because your executive functioning is just shot. You might start to lose passion. You don't want to play games in your off time. You don't want to talk about the project anymore. You don't have a drive from within to get things done. You're only getting them done to meet deadlines. This is when people start quitting. Or in some cases, and I've seen this, people get fired because of those kinds of assumptions that they've lost their touch or were just a bad culture fit in the first place. And that's, once again, really, really dangerous. Um. Sorry about that. My headphones got unplugged really fast. They should be back now. Um, And this is part of why we see that many game devs leave the industry after three to six years. Uh, The state of development survey last year found that 32% of the people working in the industry had been in for less than six years and only 13% had been in for 11 to 15 that's an enormous drop-off. And that drop-off gets even worse when we're talking about women, when we're talking about people of color, when we're talking about people on the LGBTQAI plus spectrum, um, when we're talking about game devs who are disabled, and especially when you start looking at game devs who are an intersection of multiple of those identities. Um, they're dropping like flies left and right. And it doesn't matter how many diversity <laughs> initiatives we run, how many camps we do to try and get more young people into the industry, if they're not going to be able to stay because our cultures aren't supporting them and are in some cases actively kicking them out, we're not going to change anything in the long run. And so here's the thing. This isn't just games. I mentioned earlier, there are other professions where we see this kind of thing. So I wrote undergrad example because this is my undergrad experience. I went to New York University and got a BFA in drama for my undergrad. And I was in a program that was extremely rigorous. We had class from 9 a.m. to 5 or 6 p.m. five days a week, my entire course of study, which is not how most undergrad programs work. Not only that, we were in classes where the average class size was 10 to 12 people. And you had all of your classes for the semester with that same group of 10 to 12. So you just saw them day in and day out for often more than 40 hours a week in classes and then had to go do your homework with them after class. So this group of people and most of us, you know, were between like 17 and 24, um, were young people, were in each other's lives constantly. It was just a dramatic mess. Um, If you showed up five minutes late to class, people would give you silent treatment for the rest of the day. If you weren't really ready and prepared to perform a scene, people would text or call you and berate you for like letting the class down. It was really bad. And at the time when I was in it, I thought it was normal. I thought it was exciting. You know, I was young. I didn't know any better. And in some ways it kind of prepped me to work in games because i that became acceptable to me. Um, I just understood that if I was working on an artistic pursuit with other people, this was the way the culture was going to be. People were going to be personally offended if I wasn't completely invested at all times, often to my own detriment. And that's really scary. 
And what's scarier about this is now a lot of games college programs are promoting this type of culture. When I was in undergrad, games college programs basically didn't exist yet. Um, I think USC's program had already been around for a few years. NYU did not have one yet. Um, but in many games college programs, the students are being forced to crunch and being held up to unrealistic deadlines. These toxic work practices are being normalized for young people even before they come into the industry. And they're being encouraged to adopt these practices when they form indie studios, because many of these games programs tend to push students towards working in indie or creating their own projects instead of going into AAA. So you have people actually forming businesses with this as the backbone, or even if they do go into AAA, earlier I was talking about the fear of being replaced. Imagine if you are a game dev who has been working for six, seven, eight years, you're at a leader, a senior level now, you've been doing your best for a long time, but you're starting to feel burnt out because you've been crunching for too long. And then suddenly a bright, fresh-faced 24-year-old who is straight out of a college program comes in and is willing to work 90-hour weeks and do whatever they can to prove that they deserve to be there. Suddenly we have a, another culture problem because guess who's going to start looking really bad? It's that burnt out dev who has already been put through the ringer. Um, there are just so many problems about the fact that game dev college programs are promoting this. And once again, it's not every game dev college program. It's just far too many. And unfortunately, so I, I talk to a lot of, college students in games, especially at events like DDC and PAX. I try to take as many meetings with them as possible. And I just hear about this all the time. And it makes me so sad for them and so scared for everyone else working in the industry. Ah, and then the kicker. <laughs> what happens when you lose your job? If you've been spending just about every waking hour of your life either working at your job or hanging out with people from your job, when it is suddenly taken away from you, either through um, a layoff or a studio closure or a sudden firing, it has the potential to really mess you up. Um, that's when you start to see people dealing with loss of sense of self, loss of their social circle. When a studio closes, all your friends are gonna move away. When you lose your job, you need to go where the new job is. Where are all of the people that you knew? They're gone. Um, and you can keep up with them on social media, online, maybe go visit each other, but it's not the same as being around one another for, you know, a hundred hours every week. And for some people, and I've unfortunately seen this with some of my former Telltale colleagues, a loss of desire to make new friends or rebuild. Um, when this has happened to you, there's a fear that it's going to happen again. You know, job loss is really traumatic and People in games tend to go through it multiple times in their career. And when that keeps happening, it can start feeling like it's ridiculous to put down roots, like it's ridiculous to make friends, like it's ridiculous to form romantic relationships. Never mind like buying a house or getting married or having kids, just the basic kind of stuff. And that's not sustainable. So how can we avoid this? Um, first of all, once again, making friends is good. Please make friends. <laughs> friends are important. Friends are wonderful. I cherish the friends I have made through game dev, and I would not trade them for the world. Um, but understand the difference between a coworker and a friend. Those lines get really blurred at game dev companies. Um, and at the end of the day, if the person is working with you, their most important relationship with you might be that of your coworker as opposed to your friend or confidant. Um, more practically, avoid places that list passionate as a job requirement. That is a really good red flag in a job listing that you are going to be asked to devote a lot more time to that company than 40 hours a week, or at least a lot more mental space than 40 hours of mental space would generally be. Um, places that value passion 
have learned to exploit this for the most part. Um, they've learned to take advantage of the benefits they can have when their company culture turns into that kind of pressuring one another to work setup. Um, push back against crunch culture however you can. I recognize that this is difficult. Like I was saying earlier, if you refuse to work more than a certain number of hours a week, it's probably going to damage your social status at the company beyond just your job. And that's really, really scary. So kind of spend capital where you can to not have to work as much. Do what you think you need to do to be safe. Uh, one of those things you can do is to consider joining Game Workers Unite or another local union, proto-union, or support group. Um, reach out. See what you can do. Have another space where you can vent about this and learn tactics of how to better support yourself and support your coworkers. Um, go to therapy. So I, I am a huge fan of therapy. I truly believe that just about everyone can benefit from having a therapist. But the main reason I'm recommending this here is if you have a therapist who is an absolutely unpartial third party, they are a person you can talk to about issues at work instead of informing your friends at work and further uh, contributing to that cycle of blurring the lines between personal life and professional life. So yes, having a therapist is really good. Uh, nurture relationships outside of work. Try to make friends who have nothing to do with your company or nothing to do with video games. That's really healthy to have varied interests and people who, you know, encourage you in different walks of life. And also that way, if you do lose your job, you won't be completely shit out of luck when it comes to people to hang out with. Um, and related to that last one, try to have hobbies unrelated to gaming. And a lot of people in games do. Uh, I know a lot of people who are musicians, artists, um, but especially if you can do something that's possibly not artistic, that isn't flexing that same muscle or not technical, if that's the part of game dev you're working in, um, you know, play a sport, <laughs> pick up yoga, <laughs> join a chess club. That's a game, but it's a different kind of game. Whatever sounds good to you, but having a hobby that has nothing to do with your work tends to be very, very healthy. And always remember at the end of the day, it's just a job. What we do is amazing. Um, and I love it, but making game dev our whole life is dangerous. And it's not just dangerous for us. It's dangerous for our coworkers because it's just as bad to be the person who's burnt out and being told that they've lost their touch as it is to be the one working 90 hour weeks and criticizing them. Even if you're working 90 hour weeks and not criticizing anyone else, the fact that your butt is in that seat that often is going to affect the culture of everyone else around you. So if you can, go home. If you can, diversify your interests, diversify your friend group. Don't put everything in the egg basket of your gaming world. That was not an eloquent way to say that, but just try to find other places to focus. Um, because games are wonderful, but this is a job. This is what you get paid for. And this is not how most other industries work. So yeah, that is the end of my talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'd love to take questions for oh the next goodness. 15 minutes or so, if we have some. Um, I'm glad you haven't been watching the Twitch. Because <laughs> it's been lit up. Everyone is like supporting you and like, oh my God, this... Wow, yeah, this is so incredible. Like, Thank you. I, I'm going to send you screenshots of what we've been seeing. But we, <laughs> okay. you probably lit up the Twitch chat, I think, more than any other talk. So I'm so glad that you were anchoring today. Oh, damn. Anchoring today because right. it is the way that we started, right? We want to talk about the yeah. issues. And it's very true. We, we go and clock in and clock out. And it's so much more than the actual hands-on game development part. It's everything about it. Because every company that I've worked yeah. at has been this little pocket of family in 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 some respect that i see more than my own family right because yeah. you spend eight hours plus every day consistently and you only well i only see my kid like once in the morning once yeah. at night before i like, tuck him to sleep and it's a it's a it's a it's a dangerous and at the same time uh great line to have right to have that mm -hmm. that group of people to actually go to that feels like 
as you mentioned, friends, but not really co-workers, right? But it's it's a weird. weird yeah. I, I don't even it's think both. there's a weird. Yeah, there's <laughs> both, but I don't yeah. even think there's a single word that describes it best, right? Um, mm-hmm. But the things Definitely. that are being discussed, um, it, it's very true. Like every place that I worked at, uh, I would have to um, create some some type of se- separation. And it's very true that whatever problems I I, uh, I go through at work, I bring at home. And it's very hard to separate it and uh, vice versa. If, if home life isn't good, I bring it to work. And it's those type of situation that gets really sticky, at least for me, mm-hmm. um, because you're, you're constantly stressing. Mm-hmm. And if anything, that, that, that spills out in every part of your life, right? Oh, definitely. It's hard for it not to. No. Yeah. Well, I'm going to... Um, just technically, can I turn off my screen share at this point? Or yeah, you can totally turn it off. Okay. You can turn okay. it off. Great, thanks. <laughs> oh, Larry's going to pull it up. So I'm, well, because there's some gold in here as people are. So we've actually got people like typing out that they want to clap. Great talk. Thanks for the talk, Emily. Aww. Intense <laughs> and on sweet. point. Fantastic talk. So I'm going to try to parse through this to see if there were, because a lot of this was just like revelation is what you, what you brought. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Thanks. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, there's some discussions here that are happening. Uh, Frozen Machine uh, complimenting on the talk, but also, like, these are issues that are often kind of, uh, sh- uh, what do you call it? Uh, under the rug. Yeah, Shut put it rug. put it under the yeah. rug because a, a lot of the uh, employers, employees, um, Larry and I like to avoid the P word around here, which is passion, which is uh, yeah. <laughs> used to be something that we strive for. Yeah. But uh, lately, you know, uh, in the industry that we're in, uh, that word is being exploited a lot, and yes. you do get those weird looks when you do leave on a on a on a reasonable time. Yeah, like when has that's it's very interesting. Like I didn't even think right. I didn't put any time into thinking like, oh man, passion is actually a red flag buzzword. Yeah, more than it is a like collective. It's yeah. more of an identifier. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like to yeah. think that the employer is like, oh, we found someone who's passionate. What does that mean for us as a business? We're probably going to get a lot more out of them than they're going to get out of us. Yeah. I want to find an employer who's passionate about me being there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Larry, hey, man, you've been here like 10 hours today. Look, just go home. Come yeah. get to this tomorrow. We'll make sure that this works. Hey, Larry, man, hey, yeah. we got this thing. It's beneficial for you. It's called sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go get somebody. You look tired. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. <laughs> It's, it works both ways. So, like, I want to start seeing some passionate employers start popping up. And I would gladly, you know, trade my time for money. At least make sure that it's mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. But, damn, when you said that, like, I was sitting there thinking about it. I was like, she's got dang right. Like, it's, <laughs> they, they, Thanks. That's a tough one for me to swallow because I know early on in my career, I went to every job, like, so hungry and, like, so tenacious to, like, overperform as best as I can and if I fail then I have to do double like I was broccoli if I fail at this then mm. I'm going to do double the push-ups or double the laps or 10,000 whatever yeah. he used to say and I just was not making it easy for myself to have a good work-life balance because yeah. I wanted to put something on my resume finally yeah know? and yep. uh, oh that was totally me too um and I mean that's part of why I started off the talk with that um I overworked myself so much, especially in my first game job um, at Cognito. It was really unhealthy how many extra hours I was spending at the studio getting things done. But I felt like I had to prove myself because working in games was so awesome and so exciting. And who was I? Like, I was this former elementary school teacher and I had gotten my first game dev gig and that was amazing. And I didn't think that I deserved to be in that room if I didn't spend that extra time. And it was also because I enjoyed it, but um, part of it was just proving to myself that I could do it. And I didn't realize until much later that that attitude for me was kind of making my coworkers' lives hell. So that wasn't good. I've got a, oh, sorry. Uh, there was a bit of lag there. Sorry, I thought you. I was going to jump in with a question, and I believe the name is Hoxie3D. So I'm assuming this might be one of my former students. I'm hoping, wishful thinking. But anyway, um, there's a question. It's a good question. Do you plan on writing a book in the near future? Because I feel like what you talked about needs to be written down and published for all to read. Oh gosh, yeah. um, that's not something I have seriously considered, but maybe I should. 
Thank you. Okay. We're yes. just gonna start with the first chapter and dictate this talk. Yeah, this is and this is not to like discredit anyone who has come on to GDEX Day One. I'm just saying I've noticed an overwhelming amount of support for your talk, and so like there's a lot of people like really excited about what you had to say. But like it's two things for me. One, you did a great job. But two, it's an identifier for me. Like holy shit, man, this is like. Like yeah, it's very real. You, you, uh, every slide that uh, I was listening to felt like you were walking through every year of my game dev career. Um, you know, the yeah. three to six year mark is very real. Uh, by that mm -hmm. time, any game developer that is experienced have gone through some stinkers. Uh, just some things that happens around the office starts to get very political, especially if you're starting uh, from the bottom up, right? You start seeing uh, at that point in yeah. time what it takes to take uh, go to the next level. And it's not always pretty. Uh, it isn't always about the hardest work. It's the appearance of the hardest work. And most likely in a lot of my experience, it's whoever's the loudest, uh, whoever can show that... Uh, that they can push and not be pushed back that gets what they want right and game developers i think in their hearts of hearts uh they uh, generally want to just be creative they don't want to yeah. play that game they're very trusting right? yes like on the way in mm -hmm. super trusting mm -hmm. and so they just listen they watch their colleagues and uh and unfortunately, we do have a problem within the industry where we kind of turn on each other first before we turn on others. I think a few years back, you know, mm -hmm. the Voice Actor Guild, you know, went on strike and they got unionized yeah. within a month. Uh, and the, the game developers, instead of looking at themselves, uh, yeah, they just, <laughs> they get pissed off at the voice actors talking about if you guys are getting bonuses yeah. before us, what does that even mean? It's like you're pointing at the wrong people yeah. and uh, even talking about unionizing, not accepting the status quo. There's a lot of confusion, I feel, especially in the United States about what it means and we started this conference day one with emma kanema from gameworks unite to kind of help with that understanding of uh you know it can be as small as one to two people within the studio talking to each other just larry and i myself with emily uh just talking about what's going on at the studio what we can do to fix it and like coming up with a list of uh, demands to for fear treatment. So it's for me like if I look at it like that, and whenever I talk to Emma, it's like yeah, it's as clear as day. These are issues that we should talk about and work towards a solution. Yeah. But when I talk to other people who maybe did not look into it as much, but just have automatic anti-unionization sentiment they just completely deny it, saying this is terrible. You don't want to do this. It's like what story are you? holding back like what do you mean <laughs> like what is your experience which is my curiosity is like maybe you experience something that makes you feel this way i mean the funny thing for me is like i i start looking at it like well what do i lose right yeah like, will i sign a contract getting less than i feel like i deserve no yeah right union or non-union like that's something that i wouldn't do yeah um but you're telling me like now i have a more leverage in negotiating because I'm, i have strength in numbers like that actually sounds like an advantage. You yeah. know what I mean? If I'm still getting paid what I'm worth, if I'm not necessarily as worried about like, oh, all 10 of us have to have the same salary. I think that's usually where a lot of people start breaking down that I've talked to is like, there's just this notion of he's not working as hard as me mm -hmm. or she's not doing as much as I am or they, them are not doing what I'm doing, but they're getting paid the same. Mm -hmm. And it's not fair to me. So that's why I don't want this. It's mm -hmm. like, you're also introducing opportunities for like employers to like really screw you guys on the pay just in the first place because you didn't collectively bargain. So I think that there is strength in numbers. I've seen it work. Yes. Uh, Screen Actors Guild like came in, argued, got their shit left. And they're like back to business, and right? Good. None of them got fired. No one stopped using them. Like all the yes. fear of like, oh, if we unionize X, Y, and Z is going to happen to us, the talent. Mm -hmm. They're still the talent. Yeah. They still get the jobs. Yeah. I see the same screen acting mm -hmm. people like reading dialogue lines and doing mm -hmm. mocap. Like nothing changed for them except yeah. for they got what they wanted. Yeah. Uh, so I need to look into it a lot more, but I'm still going to be an echo chamber for what's right for developers because I'm fighting for the small guy. Yeah. Uh, so Emily, like with your last six months, of course, obviously, you know, with the explosion that it was Telltale, and a lot of things that has happened since, like 
NetherRealm games, you know, they've, they're finally coming out with all the maltreatment of uh, employees. Uh, Riot, of yeah, course. NetherRealm? NetherRealm. Oh, man, Mortal Kombat, dude. I know. Dude. Okay. I I I'll update you after this. Go, yeah, yeah. Years and years of mistreatment. <laughs> they're known for that. Uh, and like then the Mortal Kombat people? Mortal Kombat people. <laughs> Those laugh. fatalities oh, are for references, dude. That's, that's not cool. <laughs> Those aren't creative. Uh, it's just new. It's, yeah. But uh, I think everything from since Telltale happened, the last six months, I've seen so much progress, at least in conversation, at least in journalists openly talking about it, at least employees not being afraid uh, and actually doing a walkout like at Riot. Like these are just just the last six months of progress that has beaten, I feel like, the last five years within the game industry. So I'm very, uh, I'm looking forward to to what the next six months for the rest of the year is. And it is at that breaking point, I think, for a lot of game developers out there. It's like, yeah, everyone's echoing the same thing. So it's not just me feeling this way. Stop looking at me weird. I'm leaving at 7 p.m. (laughs) I did my work. Yeah, exactly. You saw my Jiris completed, yeah. <laughs> passed on to the right. next. And so obviously, Emily, uh, Emily you, you've been going to schools. You've been doing a lot of these talks about your experience and obviously conversating with all, a lot of developers out there. What, what is your general feeling out there with developers? Are they just sick of it right now, the percentage of it, or is it still like half and half? You know, I think we're definitely at a turning point, but it is still turning. For a lot of people, there has just been a lot of surprise that anyone seems to suddenly give a shit. Because this is how it's been forever. And in some ways, it's actually a lot better than it was five or ten years ago. There aren't as many layoffs as there had been. Um, There aren't as many full studio closures as there had been for a long time. Um, But what's different now is people are starting to realize that this is messed up. Um, And the press is starting to realize that this is messed up. And not just traditional video game press, but actually larger outlets, too. So people are starting to hear about this um, who don't even have anything to do with games, which is always a little bit dicey um, because we know how reporting on games can sometimes be from people who know nothing about the games industry. Um, But what's most important, I think, is that the conversation is happening um, and that it is continuing to center people who actually work in game development and lift up our voices. Because if we're controlling that message and putting specific things out there, then that's what's going to be heard. People are going to understand what we want. Um, So, yes, it's going to take time for the game industry to come around because we do still value passion. We do still value overwork. Um, We do still make this our entire lives. And shifting that is going to be enormous for a lot of people, Um, especially for some of the old guard who have been doing this for, you know, 20, 25 years. Um, It's it's a task to get people to think about this in a different light, but um, I think we're starting to hit a critical mass of people who are really ready for change Mm -hmm. and are really excited that these things are being talked about. Um, And in some ways, like uh, the, the layoffs and closures over the past bunch of months have not been good. There has not been a good thing about them. They have been a travesty. It's awful that that has happened. Mm-hmm. All of these lawsuits and um, accusations of mistreatment at studios, that's bad. I, there's nothing good about any of that. But what is good is how much they're being talked about mm-hmm. and how many people know that these things are going on. Um, And the more we can continue to raise these issues and make people aware that they are actually issues, that this isn't normal, that this isn't how things should be functioning, um, the better off we're going to be. That was a really long answer, but I think it's a very complicated thing. I I, uh, have like a little poetic way of kind of summarizing it all up. You know how you get rid of shadows? You add more light. Ah. So that's more exposure, more talk, more people pointing at it, more people bringing it up more accountability mm-hmm. the less likely yeah. that you're going to see these companies like I mean, able to i guess fight their bad deeds in the public space when it becomes like once like oh you guys did this oh no that didn't happen twice yeah. three times four times five times yeah. now usa yeah. today picks it up yeah. now cnn picks it up exactly stockholders everywhere are like wtf yes you know what i mean 
Exactly. Yeah. I think this, uh, if the stockholders start caring, something yeah. is going to definitely shift. <laughs> oh, I need to go make friends with stockholders. <laughs> That's the key. Um, so I want to ask a quick question from the Twitch audience. Uh, left-handed mm-hmm. Heather, uh, she said it looked different. Cool. Uh, hopefully it's not older or fatter. I'm pretty sure it's one of the two. Uh, so the question here for you, Emily, is so I'm an incoming game art student and you mentioned how crunch culture is encouraged from those early stages. How do you recommend working against this in a situation where how much you crunch can directly affect your grades and subsequently affect your ability to find employment when you graduate? Oh, that sucks. Oh, that's oh man. Uh, ooh. Here you go, First of all, I'm so sorry that you're going yeah. to a school where how much you crunch affects your grade. Uh, my gut want to tell you is to consider changing schools. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's a huge thing to try and do. Uh, so please don't do that unless you really truly feel that that's right for you. Um, my biggest recommendation outside of that would be um, to project manage yourself as much as you can. See what you can do to make your productivity be really, really good within a reasonable number of hours. Put out the best product you can while still working a reasonable workday. And if the issue is that your professors actually require your butt to be in your seat for a crunch length of time, um, figure out creative ways to take breaks. Uh, From the time that I was in acting, I took with me the uh, Stage Actors Union, um, Actors Equity Association's break rules, and I tried to apply them to myself in game dev, which is for every hour that you work, take a five-minute break, and then if you really feel like you need to push through it an hour, work to an hour and a half, but then take a 10. Mm-hmm. Always make sure you take a at least a 30-minute lunch break where you're not at your desk working. Um, and then if you have to work like a full 12 hour day, only work 10 out of those 12. Take an actual two hour break around like mid afternoon, early dinner time and completely disconnect during those two hours. And that can really help. I agree 1000%, 1000%. You're not gonna do your best work once you're outside of your efficiency zone as far as, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, your body, your attention starts to break down, your proficiency starts to break down. And you might be able to work at like a functional level, but I mean, you're way below. Yeah, by the end of the week, you're done. Exactly. Where an hour you were doing an hour's worth of work, you're now spending an hour doing like 26 minutes worth of work. And that's taking time from your life. That's right. There have been multiple studies done that, oh, I'm sorry. There's no, a lot. No, go ahead. Multiple here for a reason. I'm, I'm, um, I, I just have personal studies, but uh, I'll, I'll name it after you talk. Yeah. Sure. Um, that after 55 hours, um, there's no improvement to the amount of work done. So, like, yeah. if you're going to work more than 55 hours, you might as well only work 55 and just make those 55 hours really, really good hours. And that's still longer than a normal 40 hour work week, but it's not a completely bonkers number either like we can all get by on doing 55 hour weeks for a couple weeks in a row and not like lose our minds or destroy our social lives yeah and taking it day by day is very smart it's like you know sometimes you just hit your quota for the day i'm at that level where when i'm done i'm done i'm out see ya i'm gonna take a yeah, break Brandon was the <laughs> guy had yeah. his stuff packed it's, it's like there's no deadline that can't wait till tomorrow that's my philosophy. You you wrote these project management, and if I looked at that and I okayed at the beginning, uh, if I'm a lead or or you assign something and I didn't okay that, fine. Then that's a personal responsibility where like I didn't throw up a red flag and there are dependencies. If I uh, reject it from the beginning to end, it is not my responsibility. <laughs> it's because of your poor management uh, that you know you did not listen or adhere to my issues. And so uh, I, I, I totally get that. Um, to, the, to the student questioning, right? The student is, I do uh, empathize on that part because I think as a student, you're always uh, have these classes stacked against you. You have like six classes at a single time and you have multiple homework, especially in art school. If I'm going back to my college days, I had like five classes that I'm juggling with, each have like three hours a night. 
with it. So I think that question is like towards like uh, that type of mentality. I got to get all this homework done. But I've seen how students were able to just cut back and do three classes per quarter or yeah. something like that to make it work. Yeah, um, because the weed them out teachers like exactly. Oh, yeah. My um, class is hard. It's like, traditionally known as the you're going to be spending Saturdays and Sundays on my homework, and right. just my homework. Yeah, no, this is what I say. I I, I used to teach uh, at a school, several schools, and this is what I tell them: is like you're not going to be unless you're that good that you're going to ace all five classes. Don't <laughs> concentrate on the ones that you actually care about mm -hmm. prioritizing. So this is a part of the what Emily was talking about, just yeah. uh, project management. What is important? What do you have to pass that attributes to your career? Uh, obviously, I don't care about math <laughs> or history. I'm becoming a 3D artist, sir. Uh, so what is the C average? And I'm fine with that because you know what? Uh, no job has ever asked for my degree or GPA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they just look at my portfolio, right? So that's how you would so you get that. degrees. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Dude, I, 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 so I echo that and mine will be quick because I, I you know, want to tie this all together. At the Art Institute, like I failed a drawing portfolio review <laughs> yeah. and I was like, I'm going to be a game designer. Like, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's not fair. I, the last time holding a pencil. Yeah, it's like I drew a whole naked person and it actually looked good, but they, I had never failed the class at that point. And yeah. I was like, oh, you fail. I was mm -hmm. like, what the heck? <laughs> I'm never going to, I'm never going to render. Yeah. Uh, let me go, sir. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. I'm still salty about that, obviously. Right, right, right. Well, uh, Emily, um, we'll, we'll hand over the mic to you. Yep. We are very thankful that we are ending it with you. So any promotion, anything that you want people to uh, go to, uh, just let us know. And let us know when your book comes out. <laughs> well, I got to write it first and pitch it and do all that stuff. Um, yeah. I, so my main thing I would like to promote would be the project I'm working on right now, The Waylanders with Gato Studio. We're currently shooting for a 2020 release. If you like Dragon Age, if you like Baldur's Gate, if you like good, fun, crunchy RPGs that let you try a whole bunch of different tactics in their gameplay, but also have good relationship and interpersonal content, you're going to dig it. Um, <laughs> I'm really happy with how it's going and I can't wait to show you more. It also does have a fun history component because it's based off of, oh, my cat is jumping on my lap. Oh. So now you get to say hello to him. This is Binks. <laughs> Binks is very Hi, excited Binks. about the Waylanders. Uh, yeah, it's based off of the history and legends of uh, Felix Spain. So yeah, right, it should be a fun project. Um, and seriously, if you have any other questions, comments, thoughts, uh, email me or hit me up on Twitter. Uh, we're going to be in touch for sure. Uh, obviously, we have more stuff in the future that we would like to have you a part of. Uh, thanks for being on our podcast. Thanks for being on GDUX. Thanks for anchoring day one. You go down in history uh, as being the anchor Shucks. for day one, Game Dev Unchained Expo. For however many we do before Brandon and I croak, uh, you're a part of the inaugural one. So hopefully one day you will be like, that was an honor. <laughs> Even if today it felt like a sacrifice, we appreciate what oh you've done. Oh my gosh, no, this was wonderful. Thank you. Oh, uh, you're <laughs>